Hello, and welcome to The House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO's show, House of the Dragon? Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Gretchen, and I am here with Caroline. Hi, everyone. And this is our official official inaugural first episode where we are going to be looking at fire and blood Woo! Hooray! Yay, exciting <laughs> we're we're like over here with like three pages of notes on a google doc wondering how this is going to be a short episode uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for you guys to follow along we have read the first basically the first chapter of fire and blood this is going to cover all of aegon's conquest mm-hmm. allegedly we're going to attempt to cover all of aegon's conquest uh, in this episode so if you want to read along we won't be going beyond that uh, for this episode um, and I did want to mention I meant to, to mention this in the pilot episode uh, these are going to be a, we're planning to do a lot of episodes of these so we are definitely looking for guests to come on mm-hmm. so if you're listening and you are there's a part of this history that you were just dying to talk about um, I know some people who like really like Dorn stuff and uh, they might be interested in some Dorn stuff and I know some people who really like Lotos and want to talk about Lotos so, but if anyone, anyone else who might want to come on, just let us know, and uh, we'll definitely be looking for guests. But alas, not to bury the lead. Aegon's Conquest. Aegon's Conquest. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. So he, he, con- he conquested. He conquered. <laughs> he. Pretty much. He. Uh-huh. He, he conquered. Unquote, he. Aegon, the dragon. <laughs> yes, just Aegon. It is Aegon's Aegon. Conquest. Only Aegon matters. Yep, exactly. But I don't understand. What, what are you getting at, Gretchen? Uh, <laughs> the problem. <laughs> So One Bruce... head has the dragon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so the basic summary of Aegon's Conquest, this chapter, the dragon lords fled Valeria uh, because of quote-unquote magic, and uh, they come to Dragonstone, and they're chilling over there, and then uh, some. there's some like kings fighting on the mainland that kind of get Aegon involved, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what exactly happens with the with them? They want Aegon to come and take some land. Yeah, so um, it's the fighting is between the storm king, the king of the stormlands, um, Argalac, Durandon. The arrogant. Yes, Argalac yeah. the arrogant. So this is before the Baratheons become the the liege lords of the stormlands. So it's the Durandon family um, is feeling threatened by Heron. I think it's Hoar. Whore? Yeah, it's spelled. I don't know how to pronounce it. There's a bad yeah. way to pronounce it that I don't like. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna say Hoar, um, who is an Ironborn uh, of Ironborn lineage, and he is in the Trident. And his it basically like Heron is stealing all of is starting to steal all of Argalac's land, and Argalac feels threatened, especially because his only heir is his daughter, and is like, hey, Aegon, um, could you like take over these lands like could you take these lands back from heron and i'll give you my daughter yeah he's like what about a third wife yeah i know you got two but have you considered have you considered a third one yeah a secret third one um (laughs) (laughs) a secret another secret targaryen yes uh and (laughs) the text is really interesting about this and not to get too deep into analysis in our summary section of the podcast but one of the big questions that we have from watching 
uh, House of the Dragon is why Aegon invaded Westeros. Mm-hmm. So House of the Dragon in, in introduced this little the the prophecy dagger and uh, mm-hmm. you know the prophecy thing, which is fine, I suppose. Right. Uh, but I don't know that that's really borne out in the text. I don't know that the text really gives us a reason. Mm-mm. Um. Except that I have theories about our good girls, Visenya and Rhaenys. Yes. So uh-huh. I, th- I think, because based on the text, basically, he gets this offer and Aegon decides, you know, I don't want her, your daughter or whatever, but I will take this land by force. Right. And, and while he... I'm there, I might as well just take all of it, actually. Right, exactly. And he just starts the, the conquest and without really any explanation. I I don't know how you feel about this, Gretchen. I think that probably that all those decisions were made by Visenya and Rhaenys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Particularly made by Visenya, because Visenya is a smart cookie. <clears throat> she is presented in the text as being the, the smart one, basically, yep. amongst yep. them. And I imagine that to an extent it would be threatening to have, you know, another non-Targaryen, you know, in the marriage mix could be mm-hmm. concerning, especially for these people that are all about their Valyrian blood, etc. Uh, but I think maybe they just got the idea, like, you know, well, they're offering us land, but we don't need it to be offered. We, we could just, we could just, we have dragon, we could just take it. Right. Why don't we take it? Like, that's what I think might have happened here. Mm-hmm. Right. And potentially even um, that by being invited, like, they're basically being like, asked to participate in this society by Mm -hmm. you know in the way that lords know how to do it which is like hey come defeat my enemies for me and we can you know team up and Mm -hmm. because prior to this point like the targs had just been like sitting on dragonstone like yeah chilling they were living their lives absolutely chilling perfectly happy had no interest in being in charge of westeros were like seemed fairly content with basically just like earning money off of, like, the seafaring trade that came in and out of, Mm -hmm. like, because Dragonstone is near the mouth of the river that goes up to what eventually becomes King's Landing. But there's, like, basically, it's, like, a primary port. Like, Mm -hmm. that area is, like, a, is a shipping lane. And the the Targaryens seemed really happy to just make money off of all of the shipping that was coming in and out of Westeros. That it strikes me that, like, you know by being asked to like kind of hey come join our feudalism and do feudalism the way we do mm-hmm. that um Visenya and or Rainey's might have been like hey look but if we get involved then we have to deal with all these people fighting with each other like we've been sitting you know our family's mm-hmm. been sitting here for 200 years and we can tell that like all of these lords are just kind of bickering with each other all the time so mm-hmm. like maybe Instead of like joining in the fighting, we could just be in charge. Are are you saying that maybe maybe they said let's break the wheel? Yeah, <laughs> but break the real wheel with but monarchy. Like, right, but like take over the wheel. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not quite break the wheel yet. They're what like, if we are about, the wheel. Yes. What if we are? There is one wheel and it is us. One wheel has the dragon. Okay, yeah. listen. <laughs> one head, one wheel. Yes. It's exactly. a very weird dragon, but like whatever, it makes sense. Um, yes so but yes exactly i i completely agree i think i mean i'm interested in the way house of the dragon um introduced the prophecy aspect of it it's not impossible i kind of want to keep tabs on it as we read through to see mm-hmm. if there's anything that gives an indication but i think this is one of those things that you know is it magic or did we trick you uh 
I think this is easily explainable by just like regular political ambition. Right. Without needing a, a magical destiny dagger. Yeah. I don't I don't actually re- recall if there is any place in Fire and Blood where it's implied that the Targaryens came to save the world. Um I know that that was a fan theory that that, that yeah. like it's whether it started there or not. I do know that there has been a fan theory of like no no, the monarchy the Targaryens are great and monarchy is great because they came to save the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes all the mo- that makes all yeah. the monarchy and the oppression and the dragon okay. fire that makes it all okay because like they're here to eventually save the world. Right, exactly. I think this is something Gretchen, you and I agree on that we're certainly going to explore, which is how how much magic is magic uh-huh. in the story. Yeah, and I I almost always land on the side of it's less magic than we think. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is magic. I don't think we can deny that there is magic, but I I do think there's less magic than we think going yep. on. So, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure about this whole prophecy concept. I'm very interested in it, mm-hmm. and I definitely want to follow it as we go along. Yeah, but it's important but anyway. to note that at this point in the story, the maester gives absolutely no indication that there's any kind of prophecy that the Targaryens were doing anything other than just kind of like joining politics at this point. Right. Um, and the maester gives the credit, as he will consistently do, to Aegon uh-huh. for make for making these decisions. Right. And and. It, you know, even though he doesn't have any proof that it was all Aegon's idea or Aegon's idea at all. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, and I think we'll get into more of that in the analysis section. So. Yeah. Uh, there are various battles um, in this section. They conquer. There are seven kings at this. Well, seven kings and queens um, at this point. There's um, the Stormlands. So I'm just going to give a rundown of, like, the places that they go. There's the Stormlands. There's the um, the Riverlands where Heron um, which is where the name Heron Hall, which you will recognize if you've read the um, Song of Ice and Fire books, Heron Hall. This is the this is the king who built Heron Hall. Um, mm-hmm. In this chapter is uh, how Heron Hall becomes the twisted, burned monstrosity that we see um, both in um, House of the Dragon and in the Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, um, that story is here. Um, there's the Vale, the North. Um, the kings in the west, the Lannisters, and then the Gardeners are the kings of the Reach, which is the name you won't recognize because um, it they, only really appears here. The Gardeners. They get toasty. <laughs> get toasted. And then the then the Tyrells um, are put into power in Highgarden. Um, and this is why, this is why hundred like, this is like 300 years before, like, A Song of Ice and Fire proper. This is when the Tyrells take over and people still call them upjump stewards. Yeah. Still, it's been 300 years. Uh-huh. And they're still like, well, they're just up jump stewards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, what strikes me is no one says that about the Baratheons. And that's basically the same that's thing. Exactly except the same thing. The Baratheons weren't even stewards. Like, the Baratheons, it was just that Oris Baratheon was like Aegon's best buddy. And he was like, yeah, oh, they hey. They were best friends. They were roommates. Roommates. And they were just the bestest buds. Comrades. <laughs> they were comrades. They were comrades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's got, various. Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say. So there's um, and then last but not least, Dorne. Um, the our girl. Um, the the place that's not conquered, and yet Aegon is crowned king of the king seven of the kingdoms. seven kingdoms. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Several times in the text. Several times. I was just looking at it in the book. Several times in the text, the uh, the the maester references, um. 
how he conquered everything, but like Doran wasn't conquered. And I'm like, buddy, you didn't right. have Doran. Right. He'll be like, the seven kingdoms, I mean, minus Dorne, but eventually Dorne. Yeah. And I'm like, and then it's yeah. not the seven kingdoms then, right. buddy. You didn't, you didn't do it. You didn't do it, friend. <laughs> you had six. Yeah. You're like Bran the Broken. You got six of the kingdoms. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Dorne remained unconquered for like a hundred years. It's not yeah. even like five years. It's like a hundred years yeah. before Dorne is brought into the seven kingdoms. But they have seven kingdoms. I like to think it's for the symbolism that they were like... Well, we have seven gods, and we're the faith of the seven, so we have to have seven kingdoms, even though it's not literally seven kingdoms. You know, that's the for thing. The so it, was like, it wasn't really, it wasn't really exactly seven kingdoms, and it's like how you divide up the land is random anyway. You know, right, it's right. Like, and they so talk about like, okay, old fine. town submitting as if old town is its own thing, but like there's no king in old town, but like it's got its own special section of like, oh yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's the Seven Kingdom. It's very important. We have a motif. We're right. rolling with it. <laughs> mm, they really do. Yeah. Um, we won't necessarily get into all of the details, but I will just kind of gesture vaguely because it's my thing that there mm. is actually a lot of um, symbolism when you start looking at like the battles and the how Martin is describing them, that there mm -hmm. are you can pull out some symbols that are related to the various gods of the Seven. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, Dorne has a lot of crone imagery because, you know, like, Maria mm -hmm. is this old woman. Um, mm -hmm. She's the crone. Also, she's the stranger because Dorne is not fully incorporated. So, Dorne is kind of separate. Mm -hmm. um, but the North also has some stranger symbolism because it's also, it's like way far up north and like separated from everybody else. Um, you'll see some like father, like, of course, like the warrior shows up all over the place, mm -hmm. um, especially with the kings. Um, because they're fighting but like Argalac is called like an old warrior like multiple times mm -hmm. like there's motifs being pulled in you can see motifs of the smith with hair in the black like the what how much fire is used um mm. oh i like that um and the stone burning so like if you want to look for it if you, you can start looking for symbolism about the various gods and the way that they're associated with the various battles that show up mm -hmm. um and i think martin is like kind of intentionally pulling in that symbolism i, think I mean that even like even like the mother in the yes. in the veil mm -hmm, the exactly. submission of the veil mm -hmm. oh, oh, oh i like it yes oh, i'm very um, much here for it argella is the maiden um who is argella yep. is um king argalac's like maiden daughter she's called a maiden multiple times mm -hmm. she's the she gets married to or baratheon yeah and that's what starts the baratheon house mm -hmm. uh pretty badass yeah. um She's queen for like a hot second. Yeah. For like a hot second. She's like, just kidding. I'm the storm queen. Uh huh. And then, uh, and then she's like, her men like turn on her. Yeah. So that was actually one thing I thought was interesting. And we could talk about it here because we're, you know, we're going to talk about the, the sexism in this mm -hmm. world along with the lens of the sexism that's brought out through this maester. Um, the men of the Stormlands were willing to die for Argilac and they did. A lot mm -hmm. of them. No problem. Yep. But his daughter had, like, less than 24 hours of, of loyalty before they turned on her. And according to the maester, and this is where I think there might have been some sexism on the maester's part or in the story, t uh, bound her naked and brought her to Oris Baratheon. Mm-hmm. Naked and, it's and like in chains. Naked and in chains. And which is, like, if that was a man, he wouldn't have been found naked. The fact that she was, like, the maiden daughter. Like, the, the nudity is important mm -hmm. uh, in that. And... Whether that actually happened or that was just the maester saying it, but it's it's very interesting how 
there are these continuous themes in Westeros before and after the conquest of people just not following queens. Except yeah. for Dorne. Yeah, except, except for Dorne. Dorne. <laughs> and technically she's not a queen, she's a princess. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, never, like Dorne doesn't yeah. technically ever have kings or queens. They have princes and princesses. Yeah. Like throughout like the mm-hmm. history. But here, yeah, she's not queen. She's Princess Maria of Dorne. Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So basically, Aegon and his uh, sis- Aegon and his sisters conquer all of Westeros, and he gets crowned a couple different times. Mm-hmm. And um, he's such a great ruler and so wonderful. And yeah. That's basically, and that's it. That's what happens in this chapter. Podcast done, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's officially enter our analysis phase. Uh-huh. <laughs> 20 minutes into the podcast. Let's get into the analysis. So we have like several questions that we're probably going to be asking throughout as we do this podcast mm-hmm. that you will see us coming back to. Um, the first mm-hmm. one is going to be um, the, a question about assumptions. So what was the maester thinking? Mm-hmm. What's in the maester's head as we're doing this? So this is where we're going to unpack some narrative POV bias. Um, another question that we're going to consistently ask is who gets shafted? Um, <laughs> yes. Hint, it's probably going to be a lot of women. Um, yes. But, um, you know. Who the women are, and there might be some men who get shafted too, but um, mm-hmm. who gets shafted, um, then we'll, you know, we'll have some themes that we'll probably repeatedly come back to and we'll kind of point them out where we go. But those are kind of like our two big questions that we're going to be talking about in analysis. So, so mm-hmm. to kick things off, Caroline, uh, what was this maester thinking? Oh my god, what was this maester thinking? Uh, this maester was thinking that Aegon is the coolest guy mm-hmm. and he's just so great. And the, the amount of times in the text that the maester talks about like how cool Aegon is and like for example there's um when Queen Visenya placed the Valyrian steel circlet studded with rubies on her brother's head and Queen Rhaenys healed him Aegon first of his name king of all Westeros and shield of his people the dragons roared and the lords and knights sent up a cheer but the small folk the fishermen and field hands and goodwives shouted loudest of all Mm. right don't you love being conquered by a dragon lord yeah, it's super great. <laughs> Don't you love it when, like, your fields are burned and all of yeah. your crops, like, right when they're ready to harvest? And then yeah. you're like, yeah, this is super great. Love having dragons in charge. Yeah, this is good. Don't you love when, like, lots and lots of people die in a horrible burning inferno? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super or, fun. Or, like, when, when your, like, king that you've, like, followed your whole life is, like, burned alive in his castle and, like, the stone melts. It's so hot. Yeah. What's the, I don't see the problem. It's great. Yeah, no problems. <laughs> this is great. I think that, so one of the biggest, biggest point of views that we're dealing with is this maester is very Mm pro-Targaryen. And this is going to be an issue throughout Fire and Blood. That he just cannot stop praising the the Targaryens and how great they are. And and then it's also informed by sexism, right? So I was saying before, Aegon and his sisters, this drives me insane Uh in this text. Yep. Aegon, almost every time Aegon is mentioned, he is named, specifically. Mm-hmm. He's either Lord Aegon, or eventually King Aegon, or Aegon the Dragon, Aegon the Conqueror. Like, he's Aegon something, mm-hmm. right? Or something Aegon. Rhaenys and Visenya, their names only come up when when they are separated. If they are together with Aegon, it's always the sisters. Yeah, always. Yeah, that's a really good point. They're just like, they're like a unit that's attached to him that's like almost non-existent but if and it it makes them in the text seem lower than him right he seems like he's the king and they're his Mm -hmm. sister queens right they're kind of whatever but if you think about it factually 
You have Aegon, who's a Targaryen with a dragon. Mm-hmm. Visenya, who's a Targaryen with a dragon. Mm-hmm. And Rhaenys, who's a Targaryen with a dragon. They are equals. There is nothing about that relationship that is unequal. They have all the same agency. Or they, they should have all the same agency. And from what we see them do, they do have all the same agency. Because Aegon is involved in winning battles. And so is Visenya. And so is Rhaenys. They all are involved in important dragon battles during the conquest big battles with armies and stuff right that and the three of them are needed for the field of fire to kind of wrap the whole thing up so just like factually they're not unequal right right and like each of them even has their own i would say um kind of victory a battle that represents like that Mm -hmm. that like each one of them individually has their own kind of place where they go and either conquer or at least sent as an emissary Mm -hmm. um aegon is most important for um heron hall for defeating mm-hmm. Harrenhal. Aegon is the one that, like, burns Harrenhal. Um, Visenya goes to the Vale. So, like, the Vale is kind of her victory. Mm-hmm. Um, she single-handedly wins the Vale. Um, no violence. That is mm-hmm. another thing to point out about, um, is that, like, both of the times that this, that that Visenya and Reyna are sent, or Rhaenys are sent to, as, like, emissaries, like, there's no violence no violence mm-hmm. happens. They're completely bloodless. Um, yeah. They are also both sent to the place where women are ruling. And there is a preference for talking over yeah. just burning everything. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen when they're all together. And it also doesn't happen when it's just Aegon by himself. I don't know if that means anything. It's just a thing I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, Aegon at Harrenhal does try to talk to Argilac first. Yes, you're right. So yeah, he, he does. does. He does actually does make that attempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, Arthur yeah, Lexus, no bueno. But I mean, Maria Martell said no bueno, and Rainis didn't burn down. The yeah, yeah, Rainy, left. yeah, Rainy doesn't so. feel the feel the need to like destroy Dorne, which is an interesting question that we can come back to. So why yeah. she did that? Um, she didn't have to show how big her dick was. Yes, That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that like when they are individually, they are depicted as having agent. Like when when the. When Visenya or Rainies appear by themselves, they're depicted as having agency. What it feels like is like their agently their agency magically disappears as soon as Aegon is in the room, mm-hmm. because the Maester yes. cannot imagine that they would have more agency than Aegon. Aegon must have the most agency because he's a man and because he's king. So right. everyone around him cannot have any agency if he's in the room. Therefore, his sisters are demoted to the sisters. The sisters. I got in the sisters, the new band coming to town. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, at the very end of this chapter, there's a quote that um, where it says, Thus were the seven kingdoms of Westeros hammered into one great realm by the will of Aegon the Conqueror and his sisters. I have that highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote next to it, lies. Yeah. I put down, uh, or vice versa. <laughs> yes. By the oh will of, uh, Rainies and Visenya and their, and their brother husband. Exactly. Who happened and I to be part there. Of it, part of it is, like, getting into this question of the characterization of these three. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating because they are, they are kind of bland. But, like, there's a quote, uh, that, that reads like, it reads like a horoscope written in a newspaper. It means nothing. Um, it's... Uh, a description of Aegon. Uh-huh. Aegon Targaryen himself, strangely, was as much an enigma to his contemporaries as to us. Armed with the Valyrian steel blade Blackfire, he was counted amongst the greatest warriors of his age. Yet he took no pleasure in feat of arms and never rode in tourney or melee. His mount was Balerion the Black Dread, but he flew only to battle to travel swiftly across land and sea. 
Uh, his commanding presence drew men to his banners, yet he had no close, close friends except for Oris Baratheon. Women were drawn to him, but Aegon remained faithful to his sisters. As king, he put great trust in his small council and his sisters, leaving much of day-to-day -day governance to, the, to them, but he did not hesitate to take command when he found it necessary. He dealt harshly with rebels, but was open-handed with former foes. It sounds like a horoscope, you know? It's like, yeah. you're a person who's very trusting, but you can be suspicious sometimes when you feel that. And you're kind often, but if someone pushes you, then you could, like, you know how horoscopes are written yeah. in, yeah. like, opposites? Yes. It's the same exact thing. It's like, you're telling me he's a great warrior. How How do you know? Mm -hmm. Like, he, like, you're telling me things like women swooned over him. When? Yeah, show <laughs> like, me. Show me. Give me a citation. Anything. Please. One example. Like, and it's just like, you know, people were drawn to him, whatever. It's like, I don't know if people were drawn to him, buddy, or if he had a dragon. Right. This is one <laughs> of those things where, like, um, kind of like when, you, when you're analyzing television shows and you're like, tell me, give me a characterization of this character that doesn't involve what they do. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. you can't actually really do that with Aegon. He's like an empty vessel. Like, mm-hmm. The only thing you can say about him are the things he does, except maybe he's really close friends with Oris Baratheon. For which we have potential theories. Right. <laughs> right. And my, and my question is, is it gay? Um, I was Aegon bisexual? <laughs> I wanted to be gay. Here's the thing about Aegon. I, there is one detail that for me characterizes Aegon perfectly and puts everything, makes everything make sense. Uh -huh. And that's the Aegon for it. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> this man, this grown man, uh-huh, landed at King's Landing, built like like a little wooden palisade, and is like, boom, the Aegon Fort. Welcome to my fortress. <laughs> and it's such it's like I did that as a kid, like in the woods, we'd make forts out of logs, you know? Like mm -hmm. it's such the kind of thing that like a silly young man does. Yes. That that for me puts makes everything else make sense. And I I looked up I looked up this word because I didn't quite know how to use it. It's a it's a British like slang term to call someone kind of like silly, kind of silly stupid is kind uh -huh. of and for me, Aegon's like a Muppet. That's uh -huh. what he's like. Yeah. He's like he's just like goofy and it's like he's like, look at my Aegon fort, I have a dragon. And his sisters are in the background like we have to take care of this. We have to go do this thing, like let's do this. Like they're the brains of the operation. Uh -huh. And he is like He's like, okay, sure. Like, yeah. whatever. Look at my fort. Yeah. And they're like, what castle do you want to rule from? And he's like, um, I want to go back to where my fort is yeah, and play from my fort. <laughs> like, where else? That's, that's, for me, that's it. The fort is the, is the thing that kind of clues me into the rest of what Aegon is like. Yep. I agree. Yeah. And like, for me, it was like that. The, so the section that you read from comes after a couple of paragraphs where the maester is describing Visenya and Rainey's. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, these detailed descriptions of, like, how they enjoy spending their time and what they're interested in. And, like, there's some sexism um, because the maester seems to imagine that, like, women can only be, like, stern and scary and maybe a sorceress or sexy. Yeah. This is a uh, thing we will see Those are the two kinds up. of women. Though I don't understand the problem. Those are the two kinds of women. That's all that exists. <laughs> right. Um... And so we have these, like, fairly vivid descriptions of these of these female characters. And then it's, like... And Aegon was an enigma. And I'm like, maybe because there was nothing to him. Right. Maybe he was kind of like our boy Viserys in House of the Dragon. Right. Like a, like a nice guy. But, you know, not all that ambitious or whatever. And being more or less pushed around by the women around him. Right. 
Right. Yes. Okay. So I love that. I think it's right in that section. So I'm going to find it. Um, oh, yes. He says, as king, he put great trust in his small council and his sisters, leaving much of the day-to-day -day governance of the realm to them. Yep. And it's like, okay. So he dude didn't even want to be in charge. Right. Exactly. He was a, a figurehead. And they, and they were running the show. Yep. Basically. Which right. makes sense. Which makes sense because there's there's like indications and again thin indications here and there that they were the smarter ones particularly visenya mm -hmm. was the smarter ones um so like uh for example there's a few paragraphs before that during uh at duskendale there was a question of whether or not to sack the city or like to burn it or whatever so visenya targaryen did not allow the town to be sacked but she did not hesitate to claim its riches greatly swelling the coffers of the conquerors so instead of destroying this important place where, like, people lived and making everyone hate them, uh, she took the gold and she got some riches out of it, but she didn't, you know, do unnecessary violence. It actually right. kind of gets back to what you talk about, Gretchen, with, like, liberatory violence and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. it's like, she's not, she didn't choose to be unnecessarily violent. Right. So it, I do think we get better characterization of the sisters than we do of the sisters of Visenya and, and Rena than we do of Aegon. Right. Right. And I think that's because there's more to them. Like I mm -hmm. I am fully with you that like I think of Aegon as kind of a himbo. It's just kind of yeah. like that's a good way to describe it, yeah. Yeah, he's like maybe not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but like he can ride a dragon and swing a sword pretty good. Um yeah. And every now and again, he has thoughts about some things that he wants to do. And the sisters are like, okay, honey. Like, They're okay, like, sure. pot, pot. Like, sure. Egg on fort, sure. Yeah, that's nice, dear. Like, oh, I'm going to go. Oh, three hills? That's that's convenient. Okay, Right, sure. three hills. Yeah. Like, there's three of us. Oh, my God, that's so cute. What cute yeah. symbolism, buddy? Like, good job. Oh, you noticed something. Look at that. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, and I know that, like, so I, we can get into talking about the sisters now. Like, how are they actually characterized mm -hmm. i feel like we know um i feel like there is some sexism for both of them that shows up in mm -hmm. slightly different ways like i said there's that dichotomy between like stern or sexy are you the stern one or are you the sexy one right <laughs> um are you a sorceress or are you pretty yeah 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 are you are you available for like male consumption in a sexy way or are you dangerous mm -hmm. um what i think is interesting about that is that I had a false memory about this story mm -hmm. that I didn't realize until this read-through. I was certain that it was Rhaenys who went to the Vale because oh. the image is of a Targaryen queen with a boy on her lap, like, laughing and being, like, pleased, like a child being comforted by a strange woman, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, like, getting to ride on a dragon, like, it's a nice thing with a kid. And I, if you had asked me before I reread this who that was, I was like, that was Rhaenys. It has to have been. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it wasn't. It was Visenya. Yeah. It was Visenya, the allegedly, like, evil, stern sorceress who's, like, you know, whatever. Uh -huh. and, and bad. Like, the bad sister. Yeah. And it's like, you just make it shit up at this point, Maester. Like, this is just... Right. This is, like, folklore kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, um... One of the things that I want to question was the way that, like, they describe, you know... Oh, he married his older sister out of obligation, but his younger sister out of love yes like so that's... my yeah my question was who decided who decided on those marriages right 
Yeah. Who, yeah. Was that Aegon who decided on those marriages? Or was it Visenya and Rhaenys who decided on those marriages? Yes. Right. And even about, like, the amount of nights that he spends, they're always like, everyone noticed that he spent, you know, ten nights with Rhaenys for one night with Visenya. He must be shunning Visenya. And I'm like, why? Why are we assuming that that Aegon is shunning Visenya? And why are we not assuming that Visenya might have been like, look, dude, I just, like, you're a little too dumb for me. Yeah. (laughs) Really, like, you're fine. Right. And we're married because, like, this is what we're we're doing a thing here. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that I enjoy having sex with you all the time. Right, exactly. What? How did the women feel about sex? Said no maester ever. Said no maester <laughs> ever. But like they assume that like, well, of course he wants to have sex with Rainies because she's the pretty one. And of right. course he wouldn't want to have sex with Visenya because she's the one who has a sword and she's dangerous and maybe mm-hmm. not as pretty. Mm-hmm. I do also think there's an aspect of it that's the age thing mm-hmm. is kind of interesting because this maester is writing this knowing that part of this history is the dance. Yes. And there's a question about legitimacy in succession. Mm-hmm. And here you have a king and two queens ruling equally. Yep. Arguably the queen's ruling more. Mm-hmm. One of whom is older yep. than the king. Mm-hmm. And I do think there, there, for the maester's point of view to work, there needed to be a demonization of Visenya yeah. to make her less legitimate. Yeah, you know I, I mean? agree. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that she has to be dangerous because she has to be seen as like some kind of threat. Right. Like it was it's a it's a good thing she wasn't ruling. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing we have this this male inheritance thing because woo, Visenya. Yeah. You wouldn't want her. Uh-huh. She's ugly and a sorceress and has a sword. Right. Yeah. Right. Except that like I love the story about the veil, about how mm-hmm. they bring the veil in because it's so smart. It's so yep. smart. So she goes to the Vale and like the the queen of the Vale, Shara, Shara Aaron, um, mm-hmm. who is a single mom, no husband to be seen, whether or not there mm-hmm. ever was one, up for debate. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if I were telling this story or I think if House of the Dragon, like the, the creators of House of the Dragon were telling this story, it would be interesting to tell a story in which um, she never got married. Like it wasn't like her husband mm-hmm. died. Um, yeah but she just that, had a child she, she just, just had, had a, a child but we know yeah. nothing about mm-hmm. you know whatever about ronald's father um right. that we just have shara and ronald so like visenya goes um i tiny point of thing that i that i love so much about like it shows up again and again is like the lords of westeros are like i am in my fierce strong castle you can't get me and they're like i have a dragon i can just boop like yeah exactly like but do you know how flying works right have you seen it have you seen a bird before <laughs> dragons fly so like shara like walls herself up in the veil and like like prepares all of her garrisons and is like they can't get me and visenya's like lands in the courtyard Wee. Like, Wee, and lands in the courtyard yeah. is like hi um yeah like i'm gonna take your son to fly, I, you know, like, and, and Shara sees Visenya just, like, holding Ronald, and Ronald's just, like, wide-eyed about the dragons, and Visenya, yeah. I imagine going, like, would you like to go for a ride? Mm-hmm. And all that's all it takes is for Shara to be, like, okay, so, um, my son could just, you know, fall off of the dragon, the dragons could eat us, like, all it takes is, like, the, uh, the visible recognition that the dragons are a threat in order for Shara right. to say... Right, but also, I should but it not. Takes, 
it takes the visible recognition of the dragons, but also it takes a ruler who, like, has their priorities straight. Right. And, and I think this also brings the North into this conversation. Mm-hmm. So Shara is in a position where capitulating isn't uh, a, 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 I can't know the word, capitulating isn't something that will, like, hurt her masculinity. Right. You know? Yep. Like, it doesn't, like, damage her honor that she capitulated. No one's ever, mm-hmm. like, Shara, the queen who knelt. Right! Yeah. But in the North, and if you think about it, the Northmen, um, oh my god, what's the name of the king who knelt? Torin? Yes. Did I lose my mind? Torin. Okay. I, I get the Northmen very confused with their names. Um, Torin made the absolute right decision. Yes. None of his people died. He, you know, they continued to get to live their lives. It was peaceful. You're talking about, like, obliteration of houses in other areas. The Gardeners, um, Argalek the Arrogant, Harrenhal, you know, these mm-hmm. things where people suffered and died these horrible ways because of, like, arrogance, yep. basically. Mm-hmm. And because these men couldn't, they, like, couldn't capitulate when it was apparent what was going to happen. It was obvious. Yep. But that they were never going to win. They chose to die instead. And I think it takes a ruler who understands that the the importance is not you and your feelings. Uh-huh. The importance is the practical effects on your people. And the only the only people who recognize that are the women mm-hmm. and Torn Stark. Yep. And a couple of small, they're actually, I, that, that's unfair for me to say, because there are a few small uh, lords here and there that like, like the Tyrells, for example, after the Field of Fire. But that, that's, like, that's like after a lot of violence, I guess right. to do it before the violence is sort of interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Right. And it reminds me of um, Rhaenyra in... House of the Dragon, that, like, mm-hmm. she walks this path between, like, Damon, who's, like, burn, burn, burn all the motherfuckers. Just, like, mm-hmm. burn them all. Um, I have dragons. Why not use them to enact violence? Mm-hmm. Um, and Viserys, who's, like, I have power, but I feel it makes me feel really weird when I use it. So I mm-hmm. want to pretend like I don't have power and pretend that the dragons aren't real and don't exist. Um, mm-hmm. And so refuses to use the power that he has in ways that you know forget that the dragons are still there like you you can't do that he wants to like pretend that he doesn't have absolute power but like still kind of wield it in some ways and that's part of why he's not a great ruler um and Rhaenyra walks this path of like okay well I have to recognize that I have this power but I don't actually just have to use it if I have it. Like, I can just show up on a dragon and people will capitulate. Like, that's right. usually usually her solution is this kind of, like, middle path of, like, the threat of violence is more effective than the actual use of violence. Like, everyone knows what yeah. a dragon can do. So she I does don't need what, to burn everybody. Right. She does what Visenya and Rhaenys do. Yes, exactly. As opposed to what, you know... I mean, the Aegon did try to talk to yes. Argalak that one time. Yeah. Uh, if the maesters are correct. Yeah. If the ma- Oh, did you want to talk about that? Like, whether what we're questioning, <laughs> what we're talking about, what was the maester thinking? Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if we want to finish. Uh, in terms of Visenya and Rhaenys, I mean, then their characterizations. Uh, the only other thing I could say about Rhaenys is she seems like a little bit more of the fuck-up sibling. Mm-hmm. Like, she, like doesn't get Thorne to capitulate and like when she's involved in that one battle um the storm the last storm at this in mm-hmm. at the stormlands uh it's in the middle of like rain like a, it's like in the middle of an actual storm 
And, like, a lot of dudes die before she, like, pulls up with her dragon and, like, does stuff. Uh-huh. She, like, Oris Baratheon and his host is, like, physically in front of where her dragon is. And I'm like, maybe you should have, like, gotten in there right. a little earlier. Yeah. Uh, so she seems, like, maybe a little bit less competent. but Or maybe Visenya is just very competent. Right. You know? Right. Or I think that if I were telling this story when um, – because I love the interaction in Dorne. And I'm so fascinated by, like – I mean, one, like – that resist like true resistance to Targaryen mm-hmm. rule is located in a female ruler whose solution is to neither capitulate under duress nor to fight, but to basically just like disappear, to like hide. Right. Like they go mm-hmm. into Dorne and all of the people are like Rainey's just has these series of like empty houses empty because everyone has stuff, like yeah. like disappeared into like the deserts. Yeah, well, but what Maria doesn't hide herself. No, she, she but she's her, the only she one her, there. She has her people hide exactly. Yes. That, that's what I'm saying. It's like these leaders, like Torrance Stark, like her, who understand they, right. they get their role. Yeah, she like Maria understands the best that like the people who are most threatened by the conquest are actually like not the lords. It's actually mm-hmm. like the small folk. It's, you know, everybody else who lives there. It's the hundreds, if not thousands of people who are not in charge of the country that mm-hmm. are the most threatened by this. They're the most vulnerable to conquest and death. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the, you know, the male kings in a lot of Westeros are just willing to throw bodies at the problem. Right. Um, as a way to assuage their own, you know, patriarchy and prove that they're not cowards. Cowards, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Um, yeah. And then Maria basically just says, like, yeah, no. Like, you yeah. shall not pass. She has, like, a, yeah. a Gandalf <laughs> moment of just, like, no, thank you. Sorry. Um, you can't rule here. Good. And it fascinates me that Rainey's says, okay. And that is interesting. I would love to see that adapted. Right. And I, like, I feel like if I were adapting this, the story that I would want to see told is one where Rainey's respects maria that it's not a matter Mm -hmm. of like cowardice or she fucked up but she's like you yeah i respect you i respect all of your choices Mm -hmm. and i'll leave you alone i will leave you i have i can't say anything about my progeny or about anyone who will come next but i Mm -hmm. can tell you that i respect what you're doing um i see your point um i'm we're chill you and i we're good like that would be fascinating like if if it was a scene of like them meeting, I imagine them meeting in like just a totally empty, kind of sandy, dusty, mm-hmm. like big hall that has nobody else in it, and just like the recognition that they're equals. Yeah, you know, even though Rainus has a dragon. Yeah, they're still equals. Yes, you know, Mary is the princess of Dorne, and she that's where she, and she's a she's a ruling. I mean, for she doesn't call herself queen, but she's a ruling queen in, in practicality, mm-hmm. and. She is equal to Rainus. Right. You know, in that way. I think that's great. Oh, I would love to see this. Yeah. yeah. Can, can they adapt this, please? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that, that, I mean, that's, and that, I think, I mean, again, it's headcanon, but I feel like that, mm-hmm. there are multiple ways to characterize that interaction in terms of what it means about who Rainus is as a person. Um, to my mind, the best possible version of what that means is that Rainus respected Maria, that this was, this yeah. was about equality and respect and and even potentially looking at Maria as like a very old woman, like a ruling mm-hmm. old woman and going, that could be me. What kind of queen do I want to be? What kind mm-hmm. of ruler do I want to be? I want to be someone like her. And mm-hmm. in order to do that, that means recognizing like 
you know, developing that kind of mutual respect and leaving her right. alone. And there's nothing in the text to indicate that any of the Targaryens didn't value their small folk. Mm-hmm. You know, any of these Targaryens, rather, specific Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys. Right. Um, that they, you know, and actually I think there's indications that they do value their small, small, small folk. The fact that Rhaenys doesn't just burn every little Dornish town she encounters. The mm-hmm. fact that, you know, Visenya stopped sackings of various places. Right. Um, that they don't just do violence right away. Yeah, so and I they could, do I can to... see that respect being between them, yeah. Yeah, we have science, like, even the, like, the way that they use the dragons frequently is about strategic strikes. Like, the burning mm-hmm. of um, Harrenhal, I think, is a really good example of, like, Aegon and the sister, like, whoever makes the decision, um, Aegon is the one that we know is present, makes the decision to, like, it is better to just burn this one keep than set the entire Riverlands on fire. Right. That, like, exactly. they're using the dragons strategically in so many ways, and a lot of that is minimizing casualties on their own side. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as they can, I think minimizing casualties on the other side as well. Like, when they can use the dragons for tr- strategic tri- strike, they will do that, rather than mm-hmm. just default to burn everything. You know, it's interesting. I was, because I'm also in the middle of a reread of the A Song of Ice and Fire books uh, proper. Um, and that's the same tactic Daenerys uses in, yeah. uh, at, like, um, at Astapar uh-huh. and Yunkai and the Marine. She, at Yunkai, I was, this is the chapter I was just reading, she very specifically instructs her guys, like, you know, anyone who will come over to me, show them mercy. Like, spare them. Yep. If they will come over to me and join me, no, no, no killing, no, no killing them. They're, they're cool. Uh-huh. And that's how she swells her numbers. You know, you can't conquer a field of corpses. Congratulations, you have a field of corpses. Mm-hmm. But if you kill some people and you have your scary dragon and then right. 100,000 of them join you, well, right. there you go. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's interesting to see that, like, that's brought up multiple times in this chapter as, like, um, a sign that Aegon is merciful. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, the maester will be like, you know, he... He conquered, but, you know, he was willing to let people join his side, and he freely pardoned the people who joined him. And I'm like, I mean, that, I don't know if it means he's merciful. That actually just seems smart. Right, Um, it's beneficial. (laughs) Right, it's beneficial. What's interesting to me is how much that, that that is deemed as, like, a valuable thing in male rulers, and yet, um... Sometimes in the fandom, Danny gets criticized for the exact same behavior. It's almost like it's misogyny. (laughs) It's almost like it's misogyny. Oh, man. Wait a minute. (laughs) I think I might have discovered a theme. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. Found one. Catch it. There it is. Yeah. No, I think think you're absolutely right because that, that that is something that comes up frequently with Aegon being merciful, but no one's like, Visenya was merciful to the Vale by not burning them. Right. She right. was. Uh-huh. She coulda. Yeah. Vagar, we've seen Vagar. Vagar could have done done stuff to, to the Vale, but... Right. Yeah. Right. And also in the ways that, like... So that's, like, a level of misogyny that, like, they're, she's not getting credit for the same kinds of positive features that Aegon is. And then mm-hmm. um, the last thing I want to say about Rainey's is, like, was she just, like, into feasts and frolics or is she just, like politically minded and understand how court life works so is she sansa is what you're asking (laughs) i think i mean that's a really good question um yeah 
Now that you bring up Sansa, she- there's a bit of an Arya Sansa divide happening with Visenya and Rhaenys. Yeah, there is. There is a really good parallel. I mean, the ages are reversed, but yeah, yeah. the ages are reversed, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's that same kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah, I think maybe I completely agree with you. I think it's so easy for the point of view of a sexist maester within the society to be like, oh, the feasts and the frolics and the singers, you know, the silly, the silly women things, uh-huh. without realizing the importance of those things in the society. Right. In the same way the fandom treats Sansa as like, oh, she's so annoying, or she, mm-hmm. oh, this is all she cares about, these like little girly things, like not understanding like, that's politics, my friends. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Right, what politics, it's not just about having a sword and being the one with the biggest sword and the biggest dragon. Right. The we, actual, we get your sword is huge, we know. We, we know, know you've got, you've got sword. all the swords. Look at all the swords you have. <laughs> You're very, very powerful. Um, but yeah, it is also about the daily running of court life, and that requires an interest in, you know, singers and dancers and art and pretty and gowns people. and people. Pe- the, and- your people, the fact that your people aren't just like shadow subjects that exist to serve you. They're like human beings who need stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're trying to rule, I mean, you're trying, you got to feed them. You got to make sure they're happy. You got to give them stuff to do. Right. You know, you know if you... If they're yours, you've got to take care of them, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think ultimately we could make the point that, like, a, we could draw out the the theme that, like, a part of what Martin is doing here is that, like, you can't actually have one person be in charge of all of these things. Mm. Yeah. That, like, the job of being point. a ruler is actually bigger than, like, no one person can do all of the things. That, mm. like, you need someone who's, like a like, a strategist. Like, you need... Someone who is strategically minded, which I think is Visenya. She's the most strategic out of all of them. You need someone who is politically minded, who is more interested in, like, you know, like, the daily running of the court. And that would mm-hmm. be Rainey's. Like, she would be the, like, ideally placed for that. And then you need, I mean, you don't need it, but, like, it doesn't, ha- like, it helps to have someone who can just stand for, like, the symbol of power that people can be like, yay, woo! Yay, yes. Like, you need, like. That's actually... That's an interesting idea. We should try to remember that when we get to Jaharis and Allison. Uh-huh. Because right. why were they so successful uh-huh. during their rule? Right. And, I mean, they were the next most equal Targaryen couple. Yes. After these three, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. So that's a really interesting point. I like that. Yeah, that, like, you can't actually really have one person in charge because no one person can do all of the jobs. Right, exactly. And as it dwindles over time, mm-hmm. it gets weaker and weaker. Yes, Yep. As more and more people expect one person to do all the things, like the worse it gets. Yes. So that was uh, us talking uh, about the things that Maester was assuming. What else did we want to ask? Who gets shafted? We kind of covered a little bit how the, the Westerosi, the small folk, you know, except for the late, the rulers. I mean, yes, all the small folk. <laughs> yeah. We talked about Lady Argella. Mm-hmm. Poor Lady Argella. Yeah. She just, yeah. like... Gets the worst. She didn't want to marry Oris Baratheon. Like, what did Lady Argella want and who did she want to marry? Ask nobody. Ask no one ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she wanted to be Storm Queen. She did. Right. She was the the sole heir and she would have been Storm Queen um, until Baratheon. um, Until Baratheon happened. So the next question I have is, you know, we're talking about what really happened. You Mm -hmm. know, and... We talked about, like, why the Targaryens invaded or whatever, but a question I have is, why make the Iron Throne? 
who decided to do that, do you think? I feel like if someone wanted to make a case for any of them, I think that you could do it. I could see Aegon doing it as a, like, you know what would be really cool? Is if, right. is if I had a throne of swords. That'd be cool. I, yeah. I... It's, it's not said in the text. I mean, it says Aegon orders the swords to be sent back. So it's not said in the text exactly who made, like, the initial decision. It is the kind of thing that's silly enough that I think maybe it was our boy Aegon. Maybe he was like, you know what I need in my Aegon fort? Like, a really cool... I need a really cool gamer chair in my fort. Yes! So... <laughs> right. Right. And I could see Visenya being like, okay. And then, that like, so he pitches it, and then the sisters have to talk about, like... Okay, well, if we're going to do it, like, we need it to be symbolic. We need it to, like, we, mm-hmm. like, we need, to, like, we need it to, like, be both a threat and, like, symbolic. Okay? Right. Like, we need it to be, like, representative of, you know, this is what happens if you do not capitulate. Your mm-hmm. swords get melted and twisted and they, you know, we sit on them. Right. Um, I th- I think this is one of those details that, unfortunately, for me, kind of breaks down in a Watsonian, or rather in a, yeah, in a Watsonian kind of way. Mm-hmm. I think what really happened was George R. R. Martin thought of this right. idea, and it was so cool. <laughs> uh-huh. But there's not really a, a good explanation for what, like, a real person would think about this. Uh-huh. Like, it's a weird idea for a real person to think about for their real throne. Right, right. You know, like, so it's like, a, for me, it's a stretch. Right, and as, like we will continue to read like this would be a really uncomfortable chair to sit on so right. even like even if someone was like man but the symbolism so powerful i feel like the person who might actually sit on the chair would be like right but i can cut myself in a thousand different ways and right like i've hard. gotten injured. why do i want to sit on this yeah i'm gotten physically injured from this chair i'm getting a new one you know like yeah right yeah so i think you're right that like ultimately the answer is doyalist is that like martin really wanted the symbolism um, both of like the melted swords becoming like this big threatening, like like the visible mm-hmm. threat of violence, like a yeah. constant present visible threat of violence. Um, I think he's also there's some other layered symbolism we don't have to get into about it being like a tree and like the green seers and like there's like a deep layer of mm. the way that kings in Westeros are like that the ancient kings were probably green seer kings. We're probably going to get another one with Bran. Um, mm-hmm. Bran's going to be a Green Seer King. Um, and that, like, the the Iron Throne is, like, a twisted, like, um, destruct, destroyed version of, like, the, the Weirwood Throne of, mm-hmm. like, the Green Seer King. So it's like a metal tree with all mm-hmm. of its branches. And, you know, like, it, like you could picture it It definitely as, like, has some physical aspects. Yeah, like the roots, like the knottedness of the roots and the intertwined right. nature of the... Yeah, I can yeah, see Yeah, but it's meant to be, like, represent the, like, um, destroyed, usurped, you know, like, broken down one that, rather than, like, the actual, you know, green growing tree um, right. that the green seer has. So there's some of that as well. But, like, ultimately, I think the answer is symbolism. <laughs> Yeah, I think the answer was like, this is neat and it's a fictional narrative. Here you go. <laughs> right. Um, right. I do appreciate that House of the Dragon, um, while Tried it to had it. to work, it had to work with the, the Iron Throne that was available from Game of Thrones was still like, right, but we're going to add some more swords in there because it actually does yeah. need to be more threatening. 
<laughs> look, we put more pokey things on the ground. We're, they're they're doing their best to try and make it look <laughs> more dangerous. They're doing their level best. You were correct. Uh-huh. Um, uh, another segment we may have, particularly more as we move forward, is uh, was it magic or did we trick you? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is us fundamentally questioning whether magic exists in this universe. Right, right. So, I, and I, Gretchen, I think we talked about this before. I kind of am playing with the idea. I, I don't know that it's correct. And I don't care because I'm wrong all the time. It doesn't matter. Uh, I've kind of been interested in the idea that maybe there, like, really isn't magic in Westeros or in Esso or in uh, Planetos at all. Um, and that, like, dragons, for example, are just, like, creatures. They're just animals. Mm-hmm. And, like, white walkers are just a different kind of life. Right. And all these things that are being interpreted as magic are either, like, natural events or purposeful tricks. Mm. Or human psychology. You yeah. know, I stare into the flames and I see snow falling. It's like, is it snow, sweetie, or is it ashes from the fire you're staring at? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so I, I think it's a definitely a really interesting conversation. I do think the text is asking you to ask that question. Mm-hmm. So the one bit of magic we encounter in this section is... Um, what was her name? The Dreamer. Danies. Danies the Dreamer. Who dreamed of the Doom of Valyria, and which led the House Targaryen to flee Valyria. There's a nice little line in the text where it's like, she dreamed of the Doom, so they fled. Twelve years later, the Doom happened. And I'm like, twelve years later? <laughs> uh-huh. So, so what was it? She was like a really, really prepared kind of vision? Like, she gave them like a really good leeway? Uh-huh. Or, you know, is it magic or did we trick you? Did she actually have a vision of the doom? Uh-huh. Or did she have, like, a nightmare that you took too seriously, and then it so happened that volcanoes exploded in Valyria? Right, right. Or maybe she's just, like, really good at reading, like, political trends and understanding that, like, you can only really dig into volcanoes so far before they blow up in your face. Maybe she was, like, a really big environmentalist. Yeah, oh my god, just really against it. <laughs> I actually kind of love that, like... Danies was Maybe an environmentalist, she... and like everyone else in Valeria was like, "What? No, yeah. that's dumb. It's fine. Power yeah. is power. We're digging for power. That's why we're doing this." And, and she was like, "Dad, I had a vision. Yep, yep. <laughs> Global warming is coming, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> we gotta get out of here." Um, yeah, no, I tend to like. I tend to agree with you that like Danies probably didn't have a dream that like she 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 was like good at reading what was happening within Valyrian society. It was like mm-hmm. looking at that and going like, hey, um, there's only so long that we can start tapping volcanoes that they might blow mm-hmm. up. Um, like the text actually says that the Targaryen family didn't have a lot of power in Valyria. It was not one of the most powerful houses. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably closer to one of the, like my theory is that it was closer to one of the secondary houses. You know, yeah, like that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Closer to like a Massey or, you know, a um, s- some of the houses that you don't remember are exist right. in Westeros <laughs> because they're not the big seven houses. Mm-hmm. Like um, a car stock kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where they were like adjacent to power, um, but not like the most powerful. So they just kind of were like weren't able to gain any kind of influence and so left. And, mm-hmm. you know, Danies was probably really good at looking at sociopolitical trends or even, like, we're tapping a, a giant vo- chain of a giant chain of volcanoes and they're probably going right. to blow up at some point. 
Right. And maybe she like genuinely was really nervous about it and actually had like a dream or a nightmare just because mm-hmm. she it was something she was anxious about. And she said it's much it must be magic. Yep. Yep. And her whole family said, Magic. Let's yeah. Go. That's great. So and thus thus became the idea that Targaryens have prophetic dreams. Well, the prophetic thing dream drives me crazy because it's it's so the kind of thing that like could be magic, mm-hmm. but it could also just be like People, you dream every night. Yep. You dream multiple dreams every night. And then things happen every day. Yep. Eventually, those things are going to coalesce. You know, like, there are going to be things. Like, people have, like, deja vu all the time. Or like, whoa, like, I dreamed of that. Or, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a regular, like, human occurrence. Yep. So, at the same time, you have, like, chapters with Daenerys in A Song of Ice and Fire that seem very specifically prophetic. Mm-hmm. Like, um, one of her visions in The House of the Undying is of her riding through a crowd of people on her horse and them crying out mother to her right and that and then that happens right so i'm like that seems to be magic uh-huh right but is it you know uh-huh. i don't know or are you high right you right. know i don't know is it magic or are you on on drugs right you know or is it wish fulfillment or is it foresight like the one other time that we see like what could be a bit of magic in this chapters at the very end with the high septon at old town where it said that mm-hmm. the high septon at old town like fasted for seven days and like had a vision had a vision that if Aegon, you know that if old town resisted Aegon, like that that it would all be burned and so he had this magic vision from the gods <laughs> and then is like hey maybe we should just capitulate and i'm right. reading that and going Sounds like you're just a smart cookie who who is right. who is being wise about the political trends and the fact that your enemy has dragons. Like, I don't think exactly. it takes a vision from God to be like, "Hey, if you resist, the city's gonna burn." When you're when your right. enemies literally have dragons and have burned a bunch of stuff already. Exactly. It doesn't even take like high level thinking. It's pretty basic, kind right. of like putting the pieces together. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely want to keep an eye on. Is it magic or do we trick you? Yeah, and I think something related um, that we don't have to spend a lot of time on is the idea of, like, um, do we have to trust what the Macers say when they say that something definitely, absolutely, 100% happened? I Ask no questions. Love, I love <laughs> when the text is like, this definitely happened. We had 15 people present and they wrote it down and it's exactly this way and we definitely totally know it. Yeah. I'm like, doth protest too much. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> when, like... The whole book begins with the maesters being like, with the maester being like, I don't know. Um, there's you could take this a lot of ways. There's multiple versions of the story. You know, fog mm-hmm. of history, blah blah blah. But this thing, this thing definitely happened, and Aegon definitely said these exact words in this exact order, and there were mm-hmm. no mistakes. Yep, these really cool words that make him sound so badass and awesome. He definitely, definitely said that. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm always like, okay. And he's usually like, well, we know that because there were maesters there. And I'm like, okay, buddy. Because they're the most trustworthy source. Right. You know? Right. (laughs) And I just like wonder like, were they even were there even maesters there? Or is that literally just like a like a tool that you use to claim that something is accurate? That if you want to say something definitely happened, you have to put a maester there, otherwise no one will believe you. Right. And it's like, and there's just no way, there's no way to verify, there's, that's the thing is like, particularly in a world where you don't have like, like the kind of archiving systems we have now, mm-hmm. and even now you have to question sources and stuff like that. Uh, back then, back, quote unquote, back then, in that kind of time period, it would have been so easy to fake shit. Right. 
because you just write it on a piece of paper and say this is the this is a letter that thus and such maester sent and it's totally true you know like mm-hmm. it's so so easy so I, I do think we need to question everything the text says yep almost almost especially when the text is adamant that it's true yes uh-huh. when the text when the text is like no no really i'm like really really or really kind of yeah really really or yeah. you just really want this to be the version that's true exactly and that does happen throughout throughout the text, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, I suppose we can wrap up with, like, we mentioned that there's some themes we're going to be hitting um, mm-hmm. that I think that we're already starting to see both um, the, that the vulnerability of women means the vulnerability of all of us and also that, like, monarchy is bad and mm-hmm. that, like, um, ruling families can become, like, symbols, little microcosms of how things, of how terrible things for everyone um mm-hmm. i'm thinking of heron the black who um also kind of reminds me at all that whole narrative reminds me a little bit of tywin devastating the riverlands during yeah. a clash of kings and yeah. a storm of swords who's just mm-hmm. kind of like oh no my power oh no my honor D- destroy all the small folk who cares right exactly throw bodies like you said before throw bodies, throw at, bodies them. at them um we also know that like even before aegon comes to him that like heron was the kind of person who was like throwing bodies at his giant work projects was like yeah. i don't care what the small folk need i want to build this really cool castle it's my castle i think it's great i'm gonna name mm-hmm. it after myself um <laughs> just like the egan fort yeah you've got heron hall <laughs> oh they were like a kindred spirits. yes kindred spirits <laughs> they could have been best buds um huh. that no, he's no just homo. Yeah, Heron Hall. Heron, Heron the Black is six feet away because yeah. he's not gay. <laughs> um, and he's black because he's because he's crispy. He gets burned. Um, yes. <laughs> that's my theory. Um, but yeah, he's like Heron the Black serves as like a really interesting symbol of monarchy more generally. He's an impressive invader because he's ironborn, so he's not technically right. native. Mm-hmm. Um, though none of the Andals are native anyway, but like that's prehistory. Um, mm-hmm. Who devastates the lands he rules over for vanity projects. And then retreats to, like, self-protection and leaving all of his people vulnerable when his own power and position is under threat. And, like, that is ultimately what happens to the Targaryens. I mean, like, we're going to get there. Mm. But, like, even in a, like even in a Song of Ice and Fire, like, that's what Ares did. We yeah. know that, like, Ares, like, when under threat, when Tyron's coming to King's Landing is just kind of, like, bars it, like, you know, mm-hmm. fortifies the whole town and is, like, if I can't have it, no one can. I'm going to burn the whole fucking thing down. Um, mm-hmm. After he's, like, done similar kinds of things of, like, all these vanity projects, building all of the wildfire, like, that mm-hmm. Heron is eventually what the Targaryens devolve into, is just this, like, oppressive invader Ooh. who's willing to let everyone die for their own pride. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I like that a lot. So it's oh, interesting yeah, so to see that, like, revisit that as we go on. Yeah. right at the beginning, we get yeah. a little seed of like the worst that monarchy can be. Right at the beginning, right as it's supposed to be the height of the Targaryen dynasty, and we're already getting this tiny little seed that's like, yeah, but this mm-hmm. is what it turns into. Monarchy is bad. <laughs> we should definitely track that as we go on mm-hmm. because I think that's a really important. How how do the Targaryen kings become more and more like the original kings they conquered? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and the bad ones, right? Ooh, right. I love it, right? And I to your that. point about the vulnerability of women, I was thinking of Ar- Ar- Argella, the way that yes. like 
Argella is the one who gets really shafted by the narrative and is super vulnerable. And the whole, this whole thing gets kicked off because Argalak is like, the only heir that I have is my daughter. And that makes me feel vulnerable because we right. live under a patriarchy mm-hmm. and feudalism. So like ew, having a female heir puts me in vulnerability. So uh, I will appeal to the only thing I know, which is another form of power, which is what brings in Aegon and what kicks off the whole conquest to begin with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, I love that tie to, to it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, All right. So yeah, it was, it was Argalak's yeah. fear of losing power because of the ways that his daughter would have been disempowered if she was his only heir that kicks off this entire conquest. This is what I'm saying about this tying to House of the Dragon mm-hmm. and the, the dance. Yeah. You know, that, this is the same problem. Mm-hmm. It's the same problem that Targaryens face when when Viserys tries to make Rhaenyra the heir. It's the same exact thing. Right. Oh, right. And Danny, Danny, Danny keeps running into the same and Danny, thing. This is going to, this is going to absolutely, I mean, I think the whole, I've said this before, I think the whole history informs Danny's story mm-hmm. and will inform what, however that ends. Yep. You know, and I think, I mean, the more we're talking about it, like if Daenerys channels her inner Visenya, Rhaenys, and Aegon, she'll sacrifice her ability to rule for the good of everyone's like survival mm-hmm. i think that would be an appropriate heroic ending right for daenerys targaryen i unfortunately do not think daenerys is going to actually sit the iron throne though i do want her to yeah i agree with I, you i feel i feel that she has she is she is not long for the world yeah <laughs> i don't think she's gonna die the way she does in game of thrones but i don't think no. she's gonna survive the story yeah, unfortunately, but I could see her and or John sacrificing themselves for everyone else. Mm-hmm. But that's very off topic from what we talked yeah. about. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so Gretchen, we did a really good job recording a really short podcast. Oh my episode. gosh, for an hour. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. So um, for next time, we have to determine how far we want to read the next chapter, Reign of the Dragon. How long are you? The next chapter is is short. Perhaps. If we want the episode to be shorter, we do the short chapter mm-hmm. <laughs> as one. And then I think the next chapter after that... Oh, no, these are all... The next two chapters are pretty short. And then I think we get to the Sons of the Dragon where it starts to get long. Uh, so we'll have to... Yeah, the Sons of the Dragon is the first chapter that's, like, very many pages. It's right. like 100, over 100 pages. So uh, what we can do then is... For, so our listeners know for the next episode... We'll do one chapter, the mm-hmm. next chapter, and then for the episode after that, we'll do the ch- yeah, chapter after that. And then we'll start breaking it down by, like, mm-hmm. either page number or where we stop in the story, like, describing it for you guys so you know uh, where to read up to, where to follow along with. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, I think that would work. That that works in terms of this. Because, I mean, obviously, particularly with these first couple Targaryens, there's a lot to talk about with how, what their characterizations are like and as we get more information mm-hmm. we'll be able to revisit some of these conversations right and i'm sure we will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us for this first inaugural episode yeah house house of fire and blood which we are lovingly calling hoffby in in honor of hot d <laughs> <laughs> uh and if you want to send us any questions or anything um you can send me a message on tumblr i'm cosplay caroline and I'm on TikTok at B-Log, B-E-E-L-O-C-K. And Gretchen, you have some things as well, right? Yeah, you can catch me on Tumblr at G-N Jones Writer. 
or you can catch me on Twitter as G underscore loves books. Perfect. And eventually we'll make an email mm-hmm. account. <laughs> but for this is where we're at for now. Yeah. So thanks everyone. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye everybody. Bye. So the reason the Aegon Fort for me makes so much sense and like defining it is that like, that's so the kind of thing my brother would do. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any brothers? I have an older brother. Oh, so I have an older brother and he's just super goofy and I love it. We get along great. But when I was in ninth grade, so he would have been a senior in high school at this time. Uh Our parents went on vacation and left us alone. I went babysitting. So I was gone for like three or four hours. I've come back. All the lights in the house are out. No, it's summertime in Jersey, right? All the lights in the house are out. And I'm like, what the fuck is everyone? And the back door of my parents' house used to have like a deck. Okay. There's like a sliding glass door and a deck. And I go over and the sliding glass door is like covered in blankets. And there is a, like a, a handwritten sign on it that says, Fortress Fun, No Girls Allowed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? So I open the door, obviously. And what my brother and his friends had done was they had pulled out the awning over the deck and, and like, taped t- with tape blankets all around the awning around the deck to, like, encase it in blankets. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And they called it Fortress Fun and they put a TV out there so they could play video games. <laughs> oh, my God. And as soon as I opened the door, they're like, no girls allowed, no girls allowed. <laughs> That's the Aegon Fort. I'm like, it's the Aegon Fort. <laughs> right, right. And this is not like a small child. This is like an 18 year old. Yep. And his friends, they all said, you know what would be a great idea? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it apparently took them forever. The best part was it stayed up most of the weekend and then it started raining. <gasps> oh no. And we were like, we were like, if the blankets get wet, will the awning collapse and the house be destroyed? And so we, like, quickly, like, in a rush in the middle of the night, we're, like, taking blankets down, like, pulling duct tape off of the awning. Yes. <laughs> Did you tell your uh, parents? Yeah, of okay. course. We took pictures. It was so great. In the future, they had, uh, they remade Fortress Fun a couple times, but always inside, because my, my mom wouldn't, obviously, let them do it outside again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it was called Indortress Fun. It... <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that's as soon as I read Aegon Fort, I'm like, I know that kind of person. Yep. Uh-huh. That makes perfect sense. A hundred percent tracks. Yep. Very nice person, super goofy. Yep. Yep. Also <laughs> building a wooden fort when you got dragons is fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh, it's his fort, man. Just no girls allowed. Right. Just like don't <laughs> set your dragons off around it. Exactly. <laughs> um.